everyone. Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast. My name is Jamie DiPolo. I'm the senior editor here at BreastCancer.org. And my guest today is Dr. Hope Rugo. She is a medical oncologist specializing in breast cancer research and treatment, a professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, Helen Diller Family Comprehensive Cancer Center. Dr. Rugo directs breast oncology and clinical trial education and is the lead researcher on a number of studies investigating new treatments for both early stage and metastatic breast cancer. Dr. Rugo is a member of the BreastCancer.org Professional Advisory Board, and she was also the lead researcher on the study that led to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approval of the Dignicap, which is a cold cap that may help some women keep some or even quite a bit of their hair during chemotherapy. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. So Dr. Rugo, Welcome to the podcast. It's a thrill to have you here. I know many of our visitors have said they are very interested in cold caps. So how did you uh, get interested in studying cold caps? Well, you know, it's an interesting story. When I was a medical student at the University of Pennsylvania, I had a patient, I remember, that was, uh, you know, icing her head and everything. It didn't work very well. And uh, at the time, we sort of poo-pooed the idea and, in fact, thought that there might be a risk to using the cold caps that you wouldn't be getting chemotherapy to the scalp and that that would be an issue. So I actually didn't think about it again really until a patient uh, came to me and said she really wanted to use cold caps and I said, oh, they're not available and they don't work. And she said, no, no, that's not true. And so she brought me a bunch of literature. She's a lawyer and had done quite a bit of work on it and actually found Dignitana. You know, it seemed an easier way to do cooling than using all these caps that had to be frozen with dry ice and changed every half an hour. Uh, so I actually, through this patient, contacted Dignitana and found out that they were interested in moving forward with FDA approval of the first scalp cooling device in the United States, and I started working with them then. The patient herself used the uh, uh, penguin caps that can be you know, uh, rented and then changed every half hour and brought in her dry ice and everything. Uh, she remembers losing a fair bit of hair, but she kept, you know, more than 50% of her hair, and it allowed her to work without really telling people what was going on, which at the time was really important to her. So it really started at that point, and I said, oh, you want to do this FDA approval? We'll partner with you on it, and I uh, jumped in there, and then we were able, uh, through our program director, Laura Esserman, uh, able to get uh, funding through a, the Laszlo Tabor Foundation, uh, and uh, this foundation and uh, one of the um, foundation's uh, directors uh, have been very generous and very supportive of our goals. And so we're thrilled to be able to move forward with philanthropic support. That's great. Now, if you could explain, I know you, you sort of briefly mentioned there in your discussion about how the caps work, but basically it's that chilling the head sort of keeps the chemotherapy medicine out of the hair follicles. Is that right? Well, probably there are at least two ways that this works, uh, and some of it has been shown by really elegant uh, work and photography, you know, electron micrographs, fancy pictures. Uh, one is that by cooling the scalp, you actually quiet down the metabolism of the hair follicle and change the shape of the follicle cell. Uh, therefore, the cell may be less sensitive to the effects of chemotherapy, which kills rapidly dividing cells. So that's one area, which is really a metabolic effect. The second is the sort of classic thinking that you vasoconstrict or you make the blood vessels sort of get narrower, and for that reason you deliver less blood and therefore less chemotherapy to the scalp. 
I see. Okay. And is there, no, I've read a couple places um, that some doctors have a concern about very small scalp metastases. Is that, in your study, was that an issue at all? No, although we're continuing long-term follow-up. There's actually quite a bit of data on this now, and I think that the bottom line is that most of those physicians haven't been keeping up with the available literature, and they sort of remember what they were trained, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even that didn't really have any literature behind it. Uh, You know, you can't go to studies that were done 30 years ago where, one, the scalp cooling didn't work well, and, two, our treatment didn't work as well as it does now. So there are a couple of uh, those issues. Turns out that scalp metastases as a first site of recurrence in breast cancer are exceedingly rare, uh, occurring maybe 1% of the time. Uh, and if that's the case, you know, if it's a really rare event and what you're doing is increasing that, it's easier to see the difference than a common event. Uh, I hope that makes sense. But it's really that if you have something that's very rare and then you do an additional treatment and it increases that risk, a rare event is much easier to see increase than a very common event because you don't need very many to show that it's more. I see. And there's been two uh, large uh, studies looking at patients who were treated with cooling caps that have uh, looked seen the same overall survival, which is a really hard endpoint and easy to follow, and also uh, haven't shown an increase in reported scalp metastases as the first site of recurrence. And even in the patients who had scalp metastases, they had other sites of disease as well, suggesting that there's no impact of scalp cooling on the incidence of scalp metastases. And then lastly, we understand more about uh, the you know, way tumors grow and privileged sites, et cetera, and it's very unlikely that tumor cells hang out in the scalp waiting to grow back someday. Uh, so this issue seems to be not really an issue. It was more a theoretical concern that we've uh, disproven. And in fact, the FDA was convinced when we went to them that this wasn't a prominent concern. And we, of course, uh, are still following our patients who were involved in both our pilot study as well as this trial that led to approval uh, to make sure that we aren't seeing any scalp metastases. Okay. And since we're talking about your study, can you just uh, briefly describe like how many women were in it? What, you know, was, was there... I, I don't know how you would do a placebo, or was it just different kind of cooling, or, or how did it work? I talked about you know placebo, which to me is sort of ridiculous. I hate <laughs> to say that, but it really is because you know you get really cold. So how could you possibly use a placebo? And it seems like unfair to make people sit with a cap on their head that isn't doing anything. <laughs> True. Um, we talked about randomizing, and you know we have there is widespread availability of the penguin cold caps, and a lot of our patients use them. Uh, through the philanthropic support, we also have freezer space for those cold caps. But of course, you do need the person there to keep changing them every half hour. But um, I and you have to rent them externally. But uh, because of that, you know, if somebody really wanted to do use cold caps, they are unlikely to allow themselves to be randomized. So we talked about because this it's so well known and well documented that these chemotherapy regimens cause complete alopecia or hair loss that we would have a non-randomized control, people who didn't want to do scalp cooling, and we would follow those patients. The other thing I said is that if you randomize patients and they know they're not getting scalp cooling, most women will shave their head after cycle two, so then you really have no control. Uh, Right, right. The FDA thought that was a reasonable approach, so what we did was we had a control group, these uh, non-randomized, concurrently treated controls, so people are treated at the same time, and 
you know, we said if 15, you know, if we've enrolled 15 patients and none of them have kept any of their hair, then we should stop. If some of them have kept some hair, we'll continue on. And in fact, we got to 16 patients just because we had more patients enrolled even, and none of those women kept any of their hair. They all had more than 50% hair loss. Uh, so that was very helpful in terms of our uh, control population. There are a couple of trials going on now that are attempting to randomize patients not to sham or pretend cooling, but just no scalp cooling. And uh, they've, you know, gone along slowly uh, enrolling patients. So we'll see if we're able to get some useful information from that. I'm guessing it's going to be quite difficult, but I think it's a noble effort to try and do that uh, type of um, study. I think mainly to look at uh, patient reported outcomes, more quality of life issues, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Now you've, you've met, oh, I sorry, you asked about the number of patients. So mm-hmm. I just thought I'd quickly uh, answer that. A little over 100 patients. We did an initial 20 patient pilot study mm-hmm. where everybody was treated in this trial, which had just over 100 patients uh, receiving uh, chemotherapy for early stage breast cancer. They could not receive a, uh, the most aggressive chemotherapy regimens that include both a class of drugs called anthracyclines and taxanes. Uh, they could get uh, the taxanes, though, and patients co- most commonly got a regimen referred to as TC or uh, docetaxel and cyclophosphamide. Um, and uh, it was really, we did it that way so that we could have less patients in the trial and get approval sooner. And then we knew that there were additional trials going on that are looking at that more intensive chemotherapy regimen. And there have been encouraging reports. So we'll see that data, I think, in the next couple of years. Okay. Now, you've mentioned a couple different kinds of caps, the DignaCap and the Penguin Cap. And I now, and you sort of alluded to this, the penguin caps you have to keep in a freezer and you change them every half an hour while you're getting the chemotherapy infusion. Um, the DignaCap is different in that it's actually attached to its own cooling system, so you don't change the cap. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. And the penguin cap is a, just a, so it comes flat and you form it to your head. Uh, you have to keep it either in a freezer or on dry ice for 24 hours before you use them. And each cap, as it cools, you have to then, you know, put it back in the refrigerator, but it doesn't get frozen again that day. So you need lots and lots of caps to get through your treatment. Mm. Um, and uh, the uh, cap itself is colder because it's going to warm up, so it has to start colder. Okay. So that's the only other thing also. It's just a colder shock to your head each time. Um, the DignaCap and another system actually have a little machine, looks like a little mobile uh, refrigeration unit, and that's what it is. It has a coolant, and the cap looks like a bathing cap, except for that it's got channels inside where the coolant circulates, and then it has temperature sensors at the front and back of the cap so that it keeps it at a constant temperature. And what it does is it continuously adjusts the temperature of the circulating coolant to keep it at a, uh, this constant temperature. Uh, so basically, you're fitted with the cap and with an insulating cap over it, and then you leave that cap on during your chemo and for a period of time afterwards, and then you're taken off. I see. Oh, and, and in both, all of them, it sounds like you rent them. Is that right? For all of them, you... You rent them. You, um, you don't buy them outright. You rent them from the company. Well, so there's not a them. For the penguin cap, you rent it from the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, for dignity cap, there's not a them because you just have a cap put on your head. Um, and then it's taken off. It's attached to the machine. So you don't actually go home with anything. You don't bring anything in. And you don't have to bring anyone in to help you either. Um, um, and 
Uh, so for that uh, system, there will be a fee per use uh, that will be capped at a certain amount so that that's all reasonable. And hopefully insurance companies will be more and more likely to pay part of that cost. Okay, so then, for, so for the Dignicap, it sounds like it would be up to the um, place where you're getting your chemotherapy, whether they had a unit or not, or would you contact the company and say, "I'm interested in this. Can I get one shipped here?" Or right, well, the contract would have to be with the center where you're getting your treatment. Okay, they would have to have a machine, and certainly, I think patient encouragement helps with that if there's a lot of interest. Um, and then the uh, place will decide on its own. Sort of billing structure. So it could be that some places will be able to fund it on their own uh, or fund specific patients who can't afford it. It's hard to know. Um, other centers will charge a specific cost per you know visit uh, capped at a certain number in case you get multiple cycles of chemo. You couldn't keep, just keep paying every time, so it would be capped at some point. I see. I see. Okay. Um, now you you mentioned about the different types of chemotherapy, I've, and I don't this I read this a couple of years ago too. Um, that different regimens produce different results with the cold caps. Did you see that in your research, or have you seen that in other research? Um, we have. I mean, it's interesting. Some studies suggest that this anthracycline taxane type chemo, the more aggressive chemo for early stage breast cancer. It, we know it's more potent and that anthracyclines given in full dose cause more hair loss. But some studies have suggested that used, you know, in a center which has a lot of experience and in these patients that you can keep uh, at least 50% of the hair and that patients are much happier. And if they keep about half their hair, then it fills in much more quickly than if you have no hair. So I think that, uh, you know, certainly there are encouraging and positive publications out there. There are also some that caution, and I think this is the case, that there's more hair loss with that type of regimen than there is with the others. Uh, And so you have to be, you know, sanguine or realistic about that, that to know that, you know, you're giving it a try and we, you know, it may or may not work perfectly for you. And, you know, the whole idea of perfectly is important because our end point was making sure that you know, you had more than 50% of your hair at one month after the end of chemotherapy because you won't have any hair growth back yet at that time. That's sort of the maximum hair loss. Uh, but what that means is that people do lose some of their hair, uh, and they we advise that people not aggressively care for their hair during the period of chemotherapy. So, you know, wash their hair infrequently, don't use products, you know, uh, use a Uh, non-sulfite, gentle shampoo, things like that. Mm -hmm. So for some women, uh, they are not comfortable with that because they want to maintain the sort of, you know, uh, put together, a more put together look without wearing a wig or head covering, et cetera. And so what they'll do is not do scalp going and wear a wig. But I pointed out to many of my patients that if they want to do the scalp going, keep their hair and that, you know, they need to look a certain way for a certain event, they can still wear a wig. Oh, that's true. That's true. Just but you know, it's not all the time. Mm-hmm. So okay. it just depends on what your sort of goals are and what you need to, you know, how you, how you're, how you care for your hair, mm-hmm. I think. And now are there any side effects to the cold caps? Well, you know, the we've all had an ice cream and had that sort of between our eyes <laughs> sure. uh, brain freeze. And that's what some people have described, that as they're doing the initial cooling in that first half hour when you go from room temperature to cooling, which is a gradual process, that they'll get a headache. Take a little light pain medication, 
headache gets better, and then they stay cold and they don't get more headache, which is interesting. Okay. But it is cold on the head. It doesn't keep warming up and cooling down like the caps you take on and off. It stays cold. So uh, once somebody's adjusted, they tend to tolerate it really well, and they drink warm tea and use a blanket. Okay, so the cold itself, I mean, obviously the headache, but like the, the people being cold wasn't really an issue. I think one person in our trial went off because she didn't like being cold. Oh, okay. Okay. But that's one out of over 100 patients. So. Right. That's really good. Now, um, I have only heard about this uh, in used in conjunction for women with breast cancer. Um, is this more widely used or is this kind of the target audience? I mean, is it used by a lot of people with different types of cancer getting chemo? Have men used it? Uh, yes. The answer to all of that is yes. Okay. Uh, it's been used widely over Europe and now in Asia more recently uh, with in patients who have a variety of cancers and to some degree in men. It's clear that men use it less frequently uh, than women uh, and many of the chemotherapy regimens they're giving for uh, cancers that are more predominant in men don't cause hair loss either, but uh, there are some men who've used it. So generally we like, uh, first you need to be receiving chemotherapy that causes hair loss, right? Mm -hmm. Some chemo doesn't, but it's very disease specific. You want to get the best treatment for your cancer. Uh, the second thing is that we don't recommend using scalp cooling for so-called liquid cancers like leukemias uh, because those are cells that are everywhere at once. And also the treatment is so intensive that there's no way that the, the scalp cooling would work. Similarly, we haven't used scalp cooling in patients who are having bone marrow transplants, for example, who are receiving big, big doses of chemotherapy. But for other solid tumors, for example, ovarian cancer, and uh, cancers that use chemotherapy that can cause hair loss, scalp cooling is a very reasonable option. And it has been tested around the world. Okay. Okay. That all sounds great. And then now my last question, I'm just curious, you mentioned this briefly um, earlier too, but I wanted to kind of follow up. Um, is it covered by insurance at all yet? Do we know if somebody were interested in this, um, should she talk to her insurance company? Is it likely that this is on their radar? Uh, it probably is on their radar. I think that it's very individual. We've had a couple of patients get partial reimbursement for scalp cooling, but that's it. So it's not on the most insurer's docket yet, but it's being discussed, and uh, hopefully there will be some reimbursement for it in the not-too-distant future. It's very much dependent on your type of plan. Some plans don't reimburse for anything, you know? Mm -hmm. So it depends on uh, what kind of plan you have uh, and, of course, what the future holds for insurance deciding to cover it. But my guess is that we'll see coverage, but it will be very much plan dependent. Is there a range of what this might cost? Do we have any idea of that yet? Um, I think that it will be in the 2000 or less uh, dollars per sort of the type of treatment you're getting. You know, that's your whole treatment course, and that's what you'll spend okay. around $2,000. Okay. Okay. Well, Dr. Rugo, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to tell us about scalp cooling? Uh, I think really just that, um, you know, we're now much more successful at treating breast cancer than we ever were before. Not always, which is why we're all working on it. Uh, and, you know, we really are at a position where understanding the impact on quality of life and how long it really how long it takes to recover from treatment is critical mm -hmm. and one of the things that delays recovery isn't having no hair now, I've had patients who just were extremely sensitive to the outward appearance and it's essentially a way for everybody to know what your business is without you telling them 
uh, some women really embrace hair loss. This is a very individual thing. So by no means are we suggesting that everybody should use hair uh, scalp cooling. I think the issue is that we're curing more women now than ever before with breast cancer. We want people to recover as soon as possible and suffer the least. So for women for whom hair loss is important, this is a, a very good thing that's now available to the pe- women in the United States, and we're excited about that. That's great. That is very exciting. Dr. Rugo, thank you so much. This has been a hugely informative podcast. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for your interest and for these podcasts, which I think uh, play a tremendous role and are a great service.